At Sisu, we take a very scientific approach to making sure our technologically advanced, doctor-developed, scientifically-backed, industry-changing mouthguards are the most protective, lightest, talkable, breathable, comfortable, drinkable, removable mouthguards on the planet to guarantee you're protected. <clears throat> no matter what comes your way, the Sisu Next Gen. Sisu. Talk. Breathe. Drink. Yes, AT, uh, we're back and we are live. Week eight, I believe, AT, is that correct? Yep. Uh, so that's exciting. Uh, St. Bonaventure starts up a new program, AT, D1. Uh, Western New York, do you have your bags packed already? <laughs> if I have my bags packed, I can tell you the one place I'm not heading to, and that's Western New York. We should have whoever plays in the Rock Bottom Bowl should automatically have to play it in Western New York. No offense to everybody in Western New York, but come on, man. I mean, it is so brutal. Getting up there, I actually like it there in the summer, oddly. But in the winter, if you can't be in the liberal incest capital of the world of New Hampshire slash Vermont, I guess Western New York would be the runner-up to that geographically so uh the answer is no ryan i don't i don't have my bags packed um just curious do you have any potential coaching candidates that would fill a spot like that i i think there's a ton of coaching candidates out there that would fill that spot i heard the interview with the saint bonnie ad and he sounded like the biggest winner ever really uh, he, yeah he was really really optimistic about their ability to feel the competitive program relatively quickly. Um, you know, he was outspoken how the sport makes sense based on where they are geographically and the type of school that they are. And you have to agree with that. Um, you know, you think if they survive by only recruiting Western New York kids, they're going to be a hard team to play right away. You're going to have Canadians that are going to come across the border that are going to make that roster immediate you know, an immediately scary offensive team, a lot like you see out of, you know, some of these other teams that field, you know, six, seven, eight Canadians right away. And it, it makes a ton of sense. I mean, it just makes a ton of sense. And in the, in the AD got it. Um, you know, you look at the candidates, listen, you go across virtually every division one team, probably outside of the top, uh, I don't know, 15 yeah. or so. And you've got division one assistants that are dying for an opportunity to be a head coach on the division one level. And listen, I, I, I've said it before. You and I have talked about it. I think there are way more qualified and ready division one assistants, head division one assistants, than there are opportunities to coach division one lacrosse as a head lacrosse coach. Yeah. And I think that you're going to have a ton of people expressing interest because one of the appeals here, RD is that yeah. this is an opportunity a lot like when, you know, Torp took over high point and right. Joe Amplo took over Marquette and, you know, Ryan Poley took over BU where they're taking over a program from the beginning. It's not yeah. like they're taking over a program 
with a culture that's already been in the toilet for 86 years. I'm not talking <laughs> about any particular place. And, uh, you know, you're actually tasked with trying to take a losing and poor culture and turn it into a winning culture. You have no culture, which is one step ahead of a losing culture. That's well, and I think way, way higher way than a losing. Ahead. Yeah. Way ahead. Yes. You don't That's have... Right you know, whiny alumni whose kids are terrible calling you up and trying to get you to take their kid when their kid is really a division three player, you don't have that dynamic in play, right? right? So uh, you, you, you have all of the opportunity without a bunch of the hangover and just the overall quality of life from that standpoint alone will make the attractiveness of this opportunity magnified. So I think you're going to see a ton of big name, current head assistant and second assistants at perhaps top 15 programs looking at this job. And I'm extremely confident that they're going to hire a guy that's going to be, uh, you know, a big name within the sport among head assistant coaches across the country. What do you That's right. Obviously an interesting position. Uh very crazy that yet another Division 1 program starts up. Not quite like the BU Marquettes out there, uh but certainly more like the High Points uh Cleveland State's options, but like you said, it's definitely going to be you know, a huge opportunity for a young assistant to come in, uh, step in, or even potentially an established assistant. Uh y- you got to figure when you look at established assistants out there who have made their mark uh, at their current programs, you got to figure starting, like you said, from scratch is a very appealing thing. No one wants somebody else's bag of shit. I mean, that's the reality of it. Um, and right. if you're coming in with a blank slate. Unless it's really late, unless it's like one thirty in the morning. <laughs> In which case, I guess you might want it. You might. Uh, you might. You might. It might be better than yours. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but basically, you know, it is. It is a very, very appealing idea to come in, start your own. Now, a couple things that I, I was a little concerned about is one, and and I've heard from other assistants and there are great points being made by other assistants is looking at their women's program. If you look at their women's program, you can, and this is what a, a, a lot of assistants out there, so if there are any administrators out there, it's interesting to hear this, that they judge a lot of what their women's program visibly is about culture wise and all that. That is a good indicator of what you're going to get from the men's side. And I kind of liked, I like that. I like that idea. Meaning I don't understand that. So meaning, look, they have a women's program that is in the dumps. They've heard so much that they don't care. They don't care about lacrosse X, Y, and Z. I'm not speaking specifically about St. Bonaventure, but you could put them in that crew. You could put that in that group of of schools that are just creating programs to fill beds. And and you can get in, if you're trying to glean something from a potential job that you would obviously apply to, or anyone would apply to, 
you're going to look and take clues from as many different opportunities or many different things as you can. And one of them is the women's lacrosse program. And many of these schools that are considering putting men's lacrosse programs already have well-established women's programs for years. And so when you look at that, you're saying to yourself, well, they don't put shit into their women's program. What's to say that they're going to do it for the men? And it's an interesting, at least, you know, thought process. I don't know if it's totally legit. I don't know if it's totally on point, but hey, look, bottom line is, is if you're an athletic department and athletic director and you want to start up a program, you better button up all the parts of the, of the relevant pieces of the puzzle, which is a women's program. If you want to start a men's program, cause they're going to look at that and be like, well, I don't understand if you're going to put together, you know, a half-assed product here, what's to say that you're not going to do it the same for our side. Because no established assistant wants to come in to less than ideal situation to start off. No question about it. And I think that, you know, from from there, you know, they lose to St. Bonaventure women when they announced that LSN came out with the highlights of them, the women's team, losing to a 1-9 women's program from Vermont. Um, and, you know... From a culture standpoint, can you build it there at St. Bonaventure? Well, like you said, A.T., you're starting from ground zero, so of course you can. Uh, you know, you look at some of the new programs now, like Dylan Sheridan doing what he's doing at Cleveland State, what Torp did at High Point, with obviously some of the better programs out in the country with Richmond, Poli, um, at BU, um, Amplo at Marquette. I mean, these guys are killing it. So in, yeah. in terms of establishing culture, you can certainly do it. Um, it's just a matter of how many resources are you going to get at a place like this? How much can you draw? You're about 10 minutes from Ontario. Uh, not even. You're probably a stone throw from Ontario. You can get as much uh, from the north as you possibly can. You know, that's that's going to afford you. Are they going to start yeah. you off with 12.6? Who knows? Uh, a lot of questions to still be answered, but I think it's interesting to see that coaches are already kind of looking at it. Like you said, you'd be crazy not to entertain an opportunity that starts you at ground zero. Um, and, and, and again, you're not handed a, a culture that you have to dig out. That's always a benefit. Um, but again, it, it, one of the other points, too, that is actually probably the most interesting, and Twitter's already attacked it, is that St. Bonaventure becomes the fourth program in the A-10 which is a different conference, which might start to spark other A-10 programs from starting programs, which would be also interesting. Uh, so there could be some conference realignment, which is really cool. Um, and now we can start to get more definitive conferences. Women's Lacrosse already has an A-10 conference, which is kind of neat. Um, and so as we start to evolve in Division One Men's Lacrosse, it's really cool to see that we're going to have legitimate programs it's not like the great western lacrosse league anymore or um you know a fake and and i don't mean this as a, a knock on the big 10 because hopkins is a great ad but it's a fake big 10 it's not a true big 10 we'd all love to see a true big 10 uh and it'd be interesting to see if hopkins stays into the big 10 if you know say a michigan state or another big 10 program starts up um but um all cool stuff and i still appreciate what you're saying uh that you know young assistants would be crazy not to take a at least, you know, walk into an interview with these. Um, it seems like Bill Tierney's already very much in the play uh, of, of this. Of course he is. And look, I mean, if you're one of the best, you know, college, college sports coach, 
not just a lacrosse coach, college sports coach in the history of college sports. I mean, that you'd be crazy not to call him. Um, but I do think, and I always reference BU's process where they got out on the road, uh, they heard from a bunch of people, and they interviewed a bunch of people. I think that it would behoove Safe Modern Ventures to get on the road and start talking to as many assistants, head coaches as possible so that they can understand the landscape of men's lacrosse because it has significantly changed in the last five years as it has in the last 10 and 20 for sure, and everyone knows that. AT, we're going to switch topics here, and we're going to talk about the polls because I know you have a lot of opinions on them. You have Mm -hmm. one every Sunday. You put yours out, and it's part of the media poll for Inside Lacrosse. If you don't check them them out regularly, check them out. Inside Lacrosse has the Maverick Media Poll. Couple questions before you're going to get heated. I know you're just going to just start going, (laughs) AT. Because you're going to lose your mind. And I understand why you're going to lose your mind. Because you, as a college head coach and assistant coach, were once part of programs that very much, as much as they don't, the polls don't mean anything, they do. Because that's your resume. Your resume is determined by the opinions and perception of the public. And so when assistant and head coaches are trying to establish value to what they've done, they can say to people, well, in my four-year tenure, we were ranked 10th or 15th or 18th, top 20 in the country for X amount of weeks out of 20 or whatever it was. And for some of these people who don't take it serious, that's a, seriously. seriously, Modifying how they take it, which is a Did you say, did you say, I, shit, I should have, called you out right when it happened but i think you screwed up you said like relatively quickly that's well adverbs can modify adjectives verbs or other adverbs so that was an adverb modifying an adverb i think sound i don't know about that one i don't know about that one in either case taking this seriously is like a if you don't take this seriously it's a violation of our sport it's irresponsible but I'm going to call you out, A.T. You have cues at number one. Talk to me yep. about cues at number one and, and justify your pick. It's an easy, easy justification, okay? Cues has played five top 20 teams, okay? They're the only team in the country with four top 20 wins. Yep. And again, we have to go on the most recent poll – which is not the one that came out two days ago on Monday, but the one going into the weekend, right? So based on that respective poll, Cuse at six and one has beaten number 15, Virginia, number nine, Albany, number 17, Johns Hopkins, and number 11, Duke, as recently as Sunday, right? Yep. The only team that they've lost to is number eight, Army. Now, the other two teams that I would look at as potential number ones would be Notre Dame at five and one. They have three top 20 wins over number 11, Maryland, number 16, Virginia, and number five, Ohio state, right? They've lost to number seven, Denver, just due to the fact that Syracuse has one more top 20 win that puts them number one 
in my opinion. Okay? Could you argue and flip-flop Notre Dame and Syracuse? Sure you can, right? Um, Notre Dame lost to Denver on probably the goal of the year by Connor Canizero uh, yep. at the buzzer. Yep. Syracuse loses to Army by a goal. Um, you know, but just due to the fact that Syracuse has one more top 20 win than Notre Dame does, I believe justifies them at one and Notre Dame at two. And then obviously in the conversation as well, undefeated Hofstra at eight and oh, not undefeated Penn State, undefeated Hofstra. Right. At eight and oh. They have two top 20 wins, one over number 14 UNC, one over number 13 Princeton. No bad losses, no losses in general. But they don't have three top 20 wins, and they don't have four top 20 wins the way Syracuse does. So uh, because of that, I put Hofstra at number three, which I think is justifiable, um, followed by OSU at nine and one. That just got beat by five versus Notre Dame. Uh, OSU blows out Denver, and so I got them ahead of Denver at six and two, and we can go on and on down the list. But that's the justification for Syracuse at number one. How do people have Penn State ahead of Hofstra? Irresponsible, right? It's it's like when people were drunk driving in 1978 <laughs> and they would crash and the cops would say, ah, you crazy guy. You gotta get home safely, will ya? Get home safely, will ya? Right? And, uh, uh... 40 years later, it's a felony, as it should be. People die, Ryan. Uh, um, listen, Penn State is 9-0. and That's awesome. <laughs> but the problem is that they're 9-0 and versus no top 20 teams. They have no losses. They haven't played anybody, right? They haven't right. played anybody. There's absolutely zero justification. Now, do I think Penn State is a great team? Sure I do. I think Jeff's one of the best coaches, you know, arguably the best coach in the country. Yeah. But we're going to find out in the next six weeks what Penn State really is ranked. Yes. And if they start to load up wins – Against their big team, Big Ten foes, you better believe I'll put them at the top of the list. But until they beat, until they play somebody in the top 20, I, they're at nine for me. That's as high as they go. And even then, I have trouble justifying them at nine. But listen, the biggest imposters in the country right now <laughs> are 9 and 0 Penn State, as we said. No they're pretenders. Pretenders. Well, imposters still, right? Now. Right. They're all gonna ha- it's all going to shake out here soon in the next three weeks. And hopefully, uh, you know, these coaches will be sticking it to me for their sake. Uh, but, but here we go. I got the top six imposters. Penn State, 9-0 versus played no top 20 teams. Albany, 6-0 versus the non-top 20 teams. They have one loss versus ranked Syracuse, right? Michigan, 8-0 versus no top 20 teams. They have one loss versus ranked Notre Dame. Yep. VU, 8-0 versus no top 20 teams. One loss versus a non-top 20 team. That's Bucknell. That's a bad loss. Yep. Right? Binghamton, 6-1 versus non-top 20 teams with their loss being Marist bad loss. But Binghamton's not in the top 20. Right, and they're overachieving based on where we thought they would be. That guy's crushing it, Kevin McKinnon. Kev, job, great job. Right, and the last imposter. This is going out to you, Frank Raiden in Long Beach. Right, <laughs> heckle me on Twitter, scumbag. <laughs> Maryland, one in one 
versus top 20 teams. They've only played two top 20 teams. They lost to Notre Dame, which is currently ranked number two, and they also lost to Villanova, which is not in the top 20. Now, Villanova, if they keep doing what they've been doing the last three, four weeks, will eventually. But if you have one top 20 win against North Carolina and it offsets with a with a bad loss of team by outside of the top 20 in Villanova, that puts you in imposter land. And that's where you are. <laughs> now, do I think that Maryland is legit? Absolutely, I do. You know, if I had to pick my final four teams right this instant today, I would have Maryland in that group, right? Which right. makes me a clown. But based on what they've done to date, they are ranked too high in the media poll. I, I see them no higher than a deserving spot of 14. Um, but then you go to the other end of the spectrum, RD, and you got the toughest schedules, right? The right. men. The men. That's yes. what we'll call this group. <laughs> the proven commodity. Proven. Right? Proven, this not is, imposters. These guys, these guys are the guys sitting on top of the horse with the mustache finishing, <laughs> finishing off a brown-filtered Marlboro Red, right? At the top of the list, Johns Hopkins has played six top 20 teams. Six. That's six more than Penn State. <laughs> has played five top 20 teams. That's five more than Penn State. <laughs> Notre Dame has played five top 20 teams. That's five more than Penn State. DU and North Carolina have both played five top 20 teams. Again, that's five more than Penn State. Right? And then you've got the last group here, and these guys are smoking a Marlboro 100, right? White filter. And that's teams that have played four top 20 teams, and that's Penn, Loyola, Virginia, Duke, and Towson. All of those respective 11 teams are proven commodities, right? They all have a win over a top 20 program and step up to the major league pitchers each week and take and, and take it. And so <laughs> I, I, you got to believe, though, that some of these imposters, they win against top 20 teams, will legitimize themselves and uh, I will eat crow. But until that happens, I'm not. I'm not doing it. What? Who's your final four right now? If you had to guess, uh, if I had to guess, it would be Syracuse, Notre Dame, uh, Ohio State, and Maryland. I'm shocked that Denver's I, I not think, in there for I you. I think those are the four best teams right now. That's what if, I think. if you could apply, what is your? And maybe I'm crazy with this question. You do you have when you fill out your March Madness bracket? Do you have a criteria that you like have in your head when you pick your brackets? For like for instance, for yeah, hoop? for hoop, for hoop. So for I instance, so, for instance, it, I think it, it was it's the same thing I used when I picked the bowl games. Okay, so so for 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 some of the analysts out there, they go experience, point guards, and big like a big man or something like that like, you know what i mean they have like a they have a, yep. a a thing when they pick their their final fours and stuff like that yep. for me it's experience i think that that is huge and i think that brown last year was an outlier to that um and that's impressive and that makes brown's run last year even more you impressive mean the fact that he did well and made it to the final four but yet had played a soft schedule correct a soft schedule but also never been to a final four They've never been in the tournament that far. Brown? I mean, yeah, they've never they've never been to the tournament that far. Brian, when were you born? Eighty three. Okay, 
Okay, well, Brown went to the Final Four in 94. I coached in that game. Yeah, but none of those kids did. That's what I'm saying, experience. Experience the kids, experience. That's why, like, Gonzaga and and Xavier, they're always in the tournament all the time, and they go far because we're talking about seniors and juniors who have been in the tournament three or four times. You're talking about the age of the roster. Correct, correct. I apologize without clarifying. I thought you meant experience in playing tough games over the course of the year, which obviously would be... No, 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 yeah, 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 no, 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 I, I just like, and so when, when you, t- and, and your group is, is, is legit, but Ohio State making a Final Four would be impressive, it would be right on par with Brown last year, and yep. that's why I would have Denver in there, and that's why we consistently see the same groups, because I think the point guards for men's lacrosse are the face-off guys, and I think that, and, and, and the big men. consider it the ex-attackmen frankly. I don't disagree with you. I, I, I don't. I, I don't know what our criteria is in lacrosse, right? Because you could also say the big men are the goalies. Think about how many face times... Face-off guys are the, are the game changers, you know, are the, are the X factor that, you know, you can't discount. I would argue that the X factor is the goalie, but the, the face-off guy is someone you can't, like, that's, that's, that's just as, as valuable as having Pat Spencer at X. Well, I, I think that one can offset the other. If you have a great face-off guy, but your goalie doesn't show up, which to me was Denver last year in the playoffs. Fair enough. That equated to an early exit when they lost to Towson, right? If you had both, like Brown did, Will Garall and Jack Kelly, or the way Maryland did, yep. right, in Burnlor and Henningsen and his crew, and even North Carolina, when you consider the play of Brian Volcom in the playoffs down the stretch, I didn't think he was that way all season long, but in the playoffs, he stepped up and raised his game to the highest level. And obviously, blowing Kelly at the X for Carolina is what really, you know, uh, put those teams. And then Loyola, of course, was the fourth team in the Final Four, and they get blown out by Carolina in the first two and a half quarters. And then, to their credit, come steamrolling back and make it. Yep. You know, somewhat of a game down the stretch. It was still always kind of a four or five goal game, but Carolina did jump out to a 9-1 lead or whatever it was. And then Stover started to play well, and Savio won face-offs in the second half that they weren't winning, you know, before that. Um, so I, I think I think they either offset each other. If you win both of those areas, then your, your team really has a good shot. And I think that's what's going to be a problem Denver that's not going to be a problem for Ohio State because I think Tom Carey's you know halfway through a first team All-American caliber season in goal for Ohio State and Jake Withers at the X for Ohio State while he's not as good as Batiste Batiste is better yeah right? very very much better is he still is better than most of the rest and I think that Ohio State goes into these games with the best arguably goaltender face-off combination out there. I mean, what other teams are you looking at? You're looking at Notre Dame with Shane Doss and PJ Finley. That's certainly a consideration. You know, you got Con Cannon at Hofstra and Clark, but I don't know if Clark is back at Hofstra, so that that really counts. But they do I, have I a dynamic know. attackman. They do have a dynamic attackman. Do, as but, but just just think about and go through the list of the best goaltender and faceoff combinations. We'll call oh, out the Kelly Garral. Yes, that's exactly what it is. Combination and who are the who are the dangerous guys? Um, you know, uh, you look at it. it it's who is it? You and know, that's and that's the reason for goalies. Is Kanis good enough? 
I don't know. You know, Albany's you definitely know our Siri is. That's for sure. Our Siri for sure is. He's a he's a top 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 guy. You know, Albany has a, a pretty good combination in the freshman Ireland PX. And uh, their and, goal, and that's been the difference. Imagine when he, if he was there during the Thompson era, they would have won a national championship. Yeah, they would have. Because they had Blaze Reardon and Cage. Yes, they would have. Yes, they. God, would've. that's crazy to think that all Albany needed was a faceoff look, guy. Look at Richmond. Look at the year Richmond's having and how they're doing at the X and Benny Pugh in the net. Right, they're they're right there with Ohio State as perhaps the team with the best combination of. Dominant at the dominance at the faceoff X and a goalie saving, you know. Let's go back in history though, AT. Since since we're talking, how and my thing is is, and I've always said this, and you know this, is that attack is your offense is going to win championships. But now our our sport is is changed so much so that you think that this dynamic that you're talking about is now the key to winning a national championship. You look at Henningsen. And um, Kyle Bornlor that got them in the national championship last year. You look at, um, but but then you look at what UNC did. I think UNC was the outlier that you know the 2000 I think eight Hopkins team was where they didn't they just had a good team across the board that was just riding a lot of momentum. If you go back to history, do you have is this faceoff guy that was that is it was it that important during the times? No question. I mean, I, no I mean, it was question. important, but is it as important as it is today? And was it as dominant in terms of like, look, Baptiste and the Alex Smiths and y- your boy Garol, like back in the day, was it that drastic where, you know, s- the difference between 45% and 35% was six goals? I think that it's always played a big role. You know, today's game is much more micromanaged by the coaches than it was in my generation of sort of their, you know, early nineties and before that, you know, my first recollection of it was watching Johns Hopkins play when it was Larry Quinn in the net, who's arguably the best goalie in the history of the sport. Quinn thinks Uh, so. And, 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 and Greg Matthews at the X who, you know, watching him when I was an eighth grader inspired me to want to face off. Yep. You know, that was the first recollection I had, you know, the other, team that had that kind of dominance was Cuse at the same time with Brad Cotts at the X who actually stayed on and was midfield of the year as well. Um, you know, and, and Tom Nims was the goalie at Syracuse at the time. And you go through, um, you know, uh, the other dominant teams of those times. And I, I think that there's a lot of, a lot of teams, unless they had just, you know, an overwhelming offense, and, you know, or, or just a, a shutdown defense the way Princeton did with Christian Cook and those guys. But C- Princeton really put together, you know, sort of the perfect combination of, you know, and that's why they're in the conversations among for the best teams ever, you know. And, but they and also then, changed the game, too, with their pace of play, right? That was the first the pace of play. Right? When, when, when Tierney changed the sport is when he took over at Princeton and Metsy was running the offense and they instituted – you know, a defensive scheme that brought the unsettled situation to the offense and would throw off the timing of the offenses that they were playing against. They survived on that with Scott Batchel-Klupo in the goal, and they won games 7-6 by playing great team defense. But most importantly, the best part of their defensive scheme was that they inverted the short sticks and 
slow the game down to a snail's pace on the offensive end. That's right. Which limited the total number of possessions that each team got from games that were potentially 35 to 40 possessions per team to 20 a game. And now all of a sudden they're beating teams 7-6, right. 8-7. That's right. And then they win a couple national championships and then they sign Hubbard, Hess, Massey. And now they can start to beat teams by rolling the balls out and playing fast. And but they still kept the same. But they still kept the same principle because you remember in those national championship games because I was there and I watched them when they were up by one with three minutes left. The other team never saw the ball. That's right. That's right. And and listen, there. That's why Bill Tierney goes down and Metsy should absolutely um, receive the credit for the the offensive end of that. He doesn't get enough credit in Bill Tierney's national championships. I'm sure Coach Tierney gives it to him. But the reality is Dave Metzbauer, you know, was every bit as instrumental in revolutionizing game control and clock management as Bill Tierney was on the defensive end and as the head coach. Now, obviously, they sit down and they create the plan together. But the reality is that's when the game sort of made the transition from a player's game, which is what it was when uh, Gates Gates were at Syracuse leading up into that, to a coach's game. That's right. Which is what it came you know, in the nineties and beyond when Bill Tierney took over. That's right. right? And, 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 and hopefully we can get back to having it become the player's game again. I think that's what everybody, the traditionals certainly want, but now you're not only battling an element of, you know, micromanaging from the coaches and you're also having to battle the technology of the sticks and that the ball won't get dislodged. So where's the incentive for teams on the defensive end to push out around the perimeter and try to, uh, you know, pressure the ball. If a good stick check doesn't necessarily put the ball on the ground and it may end up with you in the penalty box. There's not a lot of incentive there to push out. So, you know, the game, the game may not ever be able to go back to be completely a player's game again. And a lot of the conversations that we both know in the last, you know, six to eight years is, you know, how do we speed the game up again? And it's, and I, I do think a shot clock would help that. And I think that it's going to happen. It has to happen. Um, right. You know, but, but they've got to make it a universal shot clock. And that's an entirely different in your face topic. We both are under the uh, belief. I believe RD that listen, it needs to be a set time, whether it's 90 seconds, 75 seconds, 60 seconds, once the change of possession happens, regardless of where that is, they should hit the button. That's right. right? And, and Take the refs out of the game. Don't, yeah, don't put the refs in a position of, oh, you know what, that kind of, this kind of feels like stalling. Come on, get it out of here. Right, it's, so it's painful. painful. It's, it's irresponsible. What you said, though, is great. I mean, it was a player's game to a coach's game. You can see the playing fast, though. It, it, it will never become a player's game ever again. Salaries are too high for these coaches, um, you know. Unless you're Lars you're right. Tiffany, I believe, that. I believe that. But but you see some of the guys like Lars Tiffany and and Scotty Marr. I mean, they are they are bringing it back to the players' game. Now, when you have the horses like you have at Virginia, and you so had with, the horses with LT, with LT sitting on four one goal losses, right? You right? start to if, question if, if Virginia doesn't make the playoffs this year, which is there's a very very strong likelihood that they will not okay it is does does lt amend how they play i don't think so lt doesn't everything's great when you go to the final four right but if you don't have adequate face-off success we'll just say 60 plus which they don't 
and you don't have a goalie saving the ball at 60-plus, which they don't, all of a sudden playing fast may be playing dumb. Well, okay? I can tell you this. LT definitely won't change because he can recruit the best goalie in the country all the time at Virginia. You can also recruit the best face-off guy in the, in the country all the time. You can play that fast if you're going to recruit those kind of athletes. But the real person... Locks. Like, even those guys aren't locks, okay? Who's the guy from Michigan? It Kazar, the guy that co- committed to Hopkins four years ago, and he was the best goalie in the country, and then he decommitted from Hopkins and then went to Penn. And now he's not even on Penn's roster, right? Right. Like, he's the best goalie well, you, in the country. You don't, you don't know how they're going to pan out. That's for sure. You're right, A.T., but... The performance that they have right now in the net is is brutal. But what I'm saying is the person who's going to change is the one who was doing it in Division Three, now trying to do it in Division One, is running your alma mater and and running with 20 turnovers a game and losing exactly games right. left and right. Now, exactly that's a person right. that's probably going to change a little bit because Lars already did what, what Daly's doing at Brown. His first year when Kerwin came in, they were a little hectic. They were crazy. They were catching people off guard. But they were crazy, and so they adapted, and they were like, all right, we can't go 150 miles an hour, but we can go 100 miles an hour, and we can find that happy medium. Right now, Brown hasn't found that, and they've got a lot of young players on their roster, but with Virginia, you can justify a lot of what um, you know they're doing as a first-year-in-the-system kind of thing, but the kids are liking it. You can tell. They're having a lot of fun. Um, you can see that if, if, if they got some face-off wins and some saves, they, a lot of those one-goal wins would be probably uh, – one-goal losses would be five-goal wins if they had a, a Listen, good no, goal. no question, but look at what Petro said during the Hopkins game, the timeout, right? They're down 10-4, and he says uh, – you know, listen, they're going to let us back in the game based on the way that they play, right? Yep. And then Lars had an interesting comment as well, which is we're going to play fast for the first 57 minutes of the game, and then if we're ahead, we're going to play smart during the last three minutes of the game. I mean, that's I kind right. of think that's that's the perfect model. I mean, clearly, listen, Lars is one of the best coaches in the country. He's proved it, no question. And I'm not going to yep. second guess what he's doing. I couldn't be you know, a bigger proponent of him succeeding. I'm actually, I could be. If he was still a Brown, I'd be a bigger proponent of him succeeding. <laughs> quite as much when he is a Brown. But I do want him to win on a personal level as a friend. Um, you know, and and let's face it, college across is a lot more fun when Virginia and Hopkins are playing great. It just is. Um, and so I, I I do believe, and I and I agree with you, Ryan. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that Virginia isn't a team that should be playing with the way that Lars wants his guys to play. They, they should be. And that style of play is going to continue to attract the best players out there because people want to play that kind of, of game. They, they just do. But I do think that the talent that Virginia is going to get is not going to be that much different or better necessarily than the talent that the other seven teams in the top eight are going to get. Right. They're all getting the no best. Doubt. John Tillman's getting the best kids, too. And so is Petro. And so is, uh, you know, Bill Tierney and Brownie. And so is Jeff. And and, and there's a lot of teams that are going to have the best players in the country. So That's does right. that style of play end up being the best way to beat teams that essentially have the same amount of talent on? Game? You're right. You're right. right? And who knows? And we'll find out in another five years. That's for sure. Right. Um, finding the map back all the way. Holy crap. Um, players and coaches of the week, AT. Uh, again, another crazy week. Uh, who do you got? I think a lot of our uh, coaches and players of the week could come from the same game. But go ahead, AT, your player of the week. 
Well, in true format, I'm going to open up with my runner-up, and I'm not going to go long because I'm rambling already. Uh, listen, this guy scored nine goals on nine shots. Dan Little from Navy in a 14-9 right. win over Lehigh. The best performance, shooting performance, I have ever seen in my life was Jason Wade from North Carolina, midfielder over Maryland, scored eight goals on eight shots. Ryan Wade's little brother, who was, I believe, also midfielder of the year. Phenomenal players, great dudes, uh, but that's the best shooting. But he didn't win. Your Jason Wade didn't win that game? No, 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 no. Your your guy did not win player of the week. No, he didn't win. I'm sorry. Oh. Point, Ryan. Uh, my player of the week has to be freshman goaltender Matt DeLuca from University of Delaware, 19 saves and a 13 to 9 win over number one ranked Rutgers. ATs, I Y F, player of the week. He deserved it. Great job. My player of the week is coming from the same game, same team. Andrew Roe McNoley, Delaware, three and two in the big upset against Rutgers. This kid can score, man. He's been doing it not just this game, not just the games prior, but for his entire career thus far. Um, and it's very impressive. Finally, the, that Delaware team that I originally said at the very beginning of the year that they're going to be a different team this year based on what I heard from um, uh, Byron Collins and his uh, conversations with me early in the season. There was a different, uh, a, a different tone coming out of that Blue Hens locker room. Um, and it's good to see because, look, 7-3, and three, is that what they are right now? They're 7-3 and three with a win over the number one team in the country. Uh, and, yeah. and two losses that we originally thought were going to be bad losses are no longer bad losses, that bad of losses. Um, so Delaware is a team that's scary and definitely going to compete for a CAA championship. Uh, so excited to see Andrew Romagnoli, my player of the week, 3-2 and two versus Rutgers in the win against the number one team in the country. AT, your coach of the week. Coach of the week, uh, my runner-up was Andy Shea from Yale. Bounced back 16-13 win. In our, you called it, RD. You said Yale is going to win it outright. That's and right. it doesn't surprise me at all because this is what Andy Shea does. Right, he may have a bad loss or two before the start of the Ivy League season, but as we know, it's not going to surprise any of us if Andy Shea goes six and zero in the league and ends up winning, you know, the Ivy League tournament. And we're going. God, that'd be Ivy so bad. Yeah, I hate Yale. Listen, listen, I hate Yale too, but the reality is Andy Shea does arguably the best job in the country of he getting, does. of figuring out who his team is. And then pushing those respective buttons, and they improve every single year. They do it every they single do. year. They do it, no matter whether they start fast or start slow. Um, you can only hope that they slow down before Brown plays Yale. Um, <laughs> and I, I think Brown is also speeding up. We'll talk about that later. But I, Andy Shea was my runner-up coach of the week with uh, a great win over an extraordinarily hot Princeton team, 16 to 13 at Princeton, no less. So. Uh, but my coach of the week is easy, and that's uh, Shills, University of Delaware, beating the number one ranked Rutgers team, uh, you know, 13 to nine. If this is his final season, which it sounds like it is, I couldn't be happier for that guy to get that kind of win during his last year. So Bob Schillinglaw first uh, is my IYF coach of the week. 
I'm going to go assistant assistant coach of the week runner up, uh, and I believe he's the defensive coordinator. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt regardless. Uh, I know a lot of input uh, is placed into this, and so that's the reason why uh, I'm only having him as a runner up. Dana Wilbur, the defensive coordinator for the Hens, um, holding Rutgers to nine goals. Uh, that is impressive. And I know it's a team effort over there between Byron, Coach Schills, uh, and, and Wilbur, but uh, impressive nonetheless game plan to scheme against a very fast, very tough, high-scoring offense. Very, very impressive. Um, by the way, when we were talking about who are the big-time uh, lean-ons for a championship run, my text inbox flew up with Coach, Coach Kirks and Tim McGinney uh, about goalie play as being the X factor in a championship run. So I appreciate that shout-out. Since we're live, we can yeah, Tim, actually Tim get Tim that Tim McGinney is like a goalie scientist. <laughs> my player of the uh, – excuse me, my assistant coach of the week, Bobby Benson, Johns Hopkins, nice, nice, running, running with the Gazelles – and putting up 18 goals against UVA. Not that it's hard. Look, here's the thing. It's not hard necessarily to run with Virginia and score goals. It's the consistency in which you must do it at. And that's what's impressive in what Bobby did and his schemes and continuously being consistently efficient for every single possession because Virginia is going to be efficient. Like they're going to put the ball a lot on cage, uh, and depending on your goalie play, you could end up giving up 17 goals. But if you're going to give up 17, your offense better be efficient to put in 18. And that's exactly what happened, and that he was efficient from the start to the end. Uh, very impressive performance. Bobby making some adjustments. Um, uh, well done. Well done. Great to see uh, Kyle Marr step up in that game. Yes, yes. Scotty Marr's son. Six and one. That was big time. Worst part of the show, last week's picks today. It was the best week. It was the best part of the show last week. Worst part of the show this week. Well, we called out. Go AT. Well, all right. So we're in it, Rardy, and uh, I'm going to be nice and slowly methodical as I go through this. <laughs> um, look, I, I decided to add a dynamic to this portion of the show, and that's Ooh. great call or bad call. Ooh. And great calls are where you got, or you or I picked both the winner correctly based against the spread and the over-under, right, based on that respective number. I like it. So this week, great picks, AT had Georgetown covering against Loyola in the under. Yeah, I knew you had that one. Okay. Great picks. I had Richmond covering four and a half at high point in the under. Hit both on that one. Bucknell. Torp failed me. Covering minus three versus Loyola. Hit that one. BU. Covering five and a half against Lafayette and the over at 20. That was a layup. We both got that one. Yeah. Albany. Covering five and a half against UMass Lowell and the over at 22.5. Two points there. And this was a great pick. St. John's. Covering minus four. And the under versus Hofstra. Two points there. I was at rock bottom on only the Rutgers-Delaware game. I had Rutgers in the over, and, of course, it ended up being Delaware in the under. So I had one, two, three, four, five, six winners and one loser. 
RD, and I finished the week 21 and 10. That's a really good number. That's a really good number. Yeah. A lot of money. A lot of money. A lot of money. A lot of money. <laughs> but I had I had none left. So not that much. <laughs> Uh, you were great calls. You had Yale in the over against Princeton. Great yes. call. Yale won outright, and they were underdogs. So that was an awesome call. That should be that. Should, you should get extra credit when you pick that. And, it, and if if you pick the money line, if you pick and the money line, you should called it, which was great. Yeah. Uh, again, uh, Cleveland State in the over. You hit both of those against Penn State. I think I've got a Cleveland State lacrosse sticker just below my <laughs> Still hurts. Right. But that's three in a row, right? You yeah, going against Stone Sheridan? They keep pummeling me, and I just I keep coming up and tapping on the shoulder at 12.45 a.m. to see if they <laughs> want to buy me a beer. <laughs> um, you nailed BU in the over against Lafayette. Of course, you hit two there, and you nailed Albany in the over against UMass Lowell, so that was good. Uh, you're rock bottoms. You had Loyola in the over in the Georgetown game. Wrong on both. You had Loyola in the over again on Bucknell. You're going to have to adjust your picks on Loyola the way I need to adjust mine for Cleveland State. You had Denver and the under during the Denver-Towson game, and we're wrong on both. You had Towson? Towson? Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. You had Hofstra in the under. I'm sorry, Hofstra in the over, and you were wrong on both. And you had Ohio State in the under in the Notre Dame game, and we're long on both. You finished the week 15 and 16 overall for the season. So I win week seven. That's a belt. And overall in the season, I'm 131 and 123 for plus eight. And you're 128 and 126 for plus two. So um, this is good. This is good. I created a this little is... separation going into week eight, and, and <laughs> that leads us right into that segment. So. Lightning round. We got to be quick here, AT. We've yeah. got one, two, three, four, five, six, eight games on the lightning round. Uh, and that includes one tonight. Yeah. Uh, first up, number eight, Albany goes to Harvard, playing at 7 p.m. tonight. Albany favored by four and a half. The over on here is 25 and a half. What do you got, AT? Albany is going to blow their doors off. Um, and so I got Albany and the over. I'm going to take the over on this, but I think actually Harvard's going to close the gap. I don't think that they lose by five goals or four goals. Um, so I'm going to take at least four and under. I do think Albany ends up winning this, and I'm going to take the over as this as well. Uh, two, Brown goes to Princeton uh, at 1 p.m. on Saturday. Or is it? Yeah, it's Saturday. Princeton's favored by three. The over under here is 26 and a half. Your alma Brown, mater. Brown, Brown, Here we Brown's going to win outright. Brown's going to control the face-offs. Brown is going to put together the second-best performance since that Harvard win. They had a great gut-check win against UMass, which is always a tough game. I got Brown and the over with an outright win for Brown. Wow. I'm going to take Princeton on this. I just don't think that with – I just don't see anyone stopping Sowers. I think that Blaze Dell is going to pose a lot of problems with his high arc. I'm going to take Princeton. He is. His high arc is incredible. Uh, I'm going to take Princeton covering three goals, and I'm going to take the over as well. Next up, Michigan at College Park. Maryland favored by four and a half. Over under here is 23. What do you got? Uh, this is the week where John Tillman and the Maryland Terrapins stick it to second-rate podcast Host Andrew Towers, I've got Maryland pounding Michigan. Uh, I got Maryland on the over. 
I'm going to take Michigan here. Come on, Wolverines. I, I don't think they win this game, but I think it's going to be a little closer than a lot of people think. Uh, I'm also going to take – I'm actually going to take the under here. Um, and for various reasons, I think this might end up getting a sloppy game, which is the reason why uh, this game is going to play under four goals. Georgetown goes to Denver. Denver's favored by three and a half. Over under here is 22. What do you got, AT? Georgetown's playing better. Uh, as somebody said, they're the best two and seven team in the country, soon to be two and eight with this trip. Um, I, I can see this being like 10-7 Denver. So I'm tempted to take Georgetown. But how does Kevin Warren continue to keep this team motivated after all of these losses? Um, I, I, Denver's going to win all the faceoffs. I think Denver pounds them. I, I, I'm going to take Denver and I'm going to take the over. I, I can't not take Denver in Denver. It's impossible right. to pick against them. Three and a half is an aggressive line for a team that you said is playing better, but maybe this is a win for them. This is a league win. It's very important. Um, I'm going to take the over in this one. Um, I think that I think this might be a blowout. Maybe. Number 16, BU goes to Lehigh, 3 p.m. Saturday. BU's favored by two and a half. Over under here, 21. What do you got? This is a really tough call. Um, I think BU's really well coached. I think I think Lehigh's well coached, but I just don't like Lehigh's team right now. They're not playing that well. But I just see that a league game, like I, uh, you know, at Lehigh, I can see it like 14-13 or something like that. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Lehigh here, and I'm gonna go Lehigh. And um, although I do like Carson Bannister quite a bit. I'm going to go Lehigh. I'm going to go Lehigh. 21 goals. BU likes to score. I'm going to go. I'm going to go Lehigh in the over. I'm. I. I wanted to go Lehigh, and because you went Lehigh, I'm going BU. I think BU's playing really well. I don't know. There's a lot of confidence going on right now in the BU locker room. I like it. I'm going to take BU, even though most of the Patriot League games in general end up being wild finishes. BU's going to win by three or more. I'm going to take the over in this one, even though I do think it's actually probably going to be a low-scoring game. But if BU beats them by three or more, it could get pretty high-scoring. Number 15 goes to Drexel in Philadelphia at 4 p.m. Towson. Um, did I say number 15, Towson? I don't yes. even know. Number 15, Towson goes to Drexel. Towson's favored by three. The over-under here is 18 goals. What do you got? Ugh. I hope Volts wins this game. They need it. Drexel needs to win this game. I think Drexel's offense is underrated, but I just think that Towson's hitting on all cylinders. Even though they lost a, cl- a close one-goal game to Denver and let up 11 goals, I'm sorry, 12 goals, I just think Alex Woodall is going to control all the face-offs. Denver's going to control the tempo. They're going to be tough for Drexel to slow down. Um, and I like Towson's defense, but I still am going to take the over. So I got Towson in the over. I'm going to take Towson. I'm going to take the under. Uh, I just think it's going to be very, very low scoring. I just don't think Drexel's ever going to have the ball, and I think that Towson wants it that way. Number three, Hosher goes to Fairfield at a 7 p.m. game. Hosher's favored by three against a Fairfield team playing very well right now. 20 and a half is the over-under. What do you got here, A.T.? Mm. I, I see Fairfield. Um this, this this could be the game. You know what? I'm going to do it. 
I'm going to do it. I'm going to, I think Fairfield's going to win outright in this game at Fairfield at seven o'clock, the number three team in the country. And Fairfield seems to traditionally have Hofstra's number. I want Hofstra to win. I want Brazel to win. I want Seth to win. Uh, but I just see this as a sort of a trap game for Hofstra. So I'm going to take, I'm going to take Fairfield, and I think 20.5. Both goalies are really good. I'm going to take Fairfield, but I'm going to take the under. I'm taking Fairfield as well. I think three goals for Hofstra against a Fairfield team that has progressively gotten better. Um, They got great players. uh, They do. Uh, 20.5. I'm taking the over, though. I'm not going to take the under on this one. Copeland's going to have them showing up in league play. And I think it's the first first game where they show up. I could see an 11-10. 11, 12 of 10 game. Um, I think 9 8, 9 8, something like that. But go that ahead. makes sense. Yeah. Uh, number eight, Albany goes to the island to play Stony Brook, 7 p.m. game as well. Albany favored by three and a half. 24 and a half is the over under. What do you got? Is Stony Brook in the top 20, Ryan? Stony Brook is not in the top 20. Okay, so I've got Albany by 12 goals. Uh, <laughs> I think they're going to win like 21 to 9. I got Albany in the over. I got Albany as well, and and I have the all over as well. I don't think it's going to be that aggressive, but I do think Albany covers their four-goal spread here. That is it for the lightning round. Let's go back to the top, and we're going to talk about number 10 Rutgers. That Big Ten play has finally arrived. Interleague play, and you wonder between the Ivy League, the Big Ten, and the ACC, the teams at the top, are they going to end up just – devouring themselves in league play. And I I have a feeling that's going to be the case. Rutgers at Johns Hopkins. Rutgers coming off a loss, a tough one against Delaware, 13-9. And Hopkins coming off a win in OT, 18-17. Hopkins is favored, or excuse me, Rutgers is favored by one goal. The over-under here is 25. What do you got? Um, I think that, uh, that we're going to start to see the crumbling of Rutgers. That's what I think. I think that Big Ten play is really where it's going to show up. And I think this is going to be a serious opponent. While they do have a great win over Army, um, you know, they haven't played a really, really tough schedule. The teams that were supposed to be good wins for them, the way Stony Brook was coming into the Rutgers game, Brown, you know, not playing well. I just... I, I think that the loss to Delaware is going to shake the confidence of the Rutgers players. And I think there's going to see, they're going to see a major uptick in the quality of the opponent from Delaware to Johns Hopkins. Um, and I think that Hopkins is, is, is we're going to start to see this team really come together and play the way that they did the first couple of weeks of the season. I like Johns Hopkins in the over. I like, uh, I, 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 I like Hopkins in this one too. I like Hopkins straight up in this one. Me too. Um, you're playing at Homewood Field. It's not an easy place to play. Rutgers though is two and zero. I think I believe against Hopkins over the last two games. This they were is the third year, time yeah. they're going to play. That's right. And I just don't see three games in a row um, that Rutgers is going to win. I think it'll be a great game, but I do think Hopkins wins this straight up. I'm going to take the over in this one as well. Yeah. Um, and 25 goals. I think it's going to be a 13, 12. You know what? I'm going to take the under, AT. I'm going to take the under. Why don't you take green? Take Hopkins in the push. (laughs) What's the line on the push? That would be incredible to pick the push. Um, 
Army goes to Bucknell. Uh, Army, number seven Army goes to Bucknell in a 1 p.m. game. Army's favored by two. 19.5 is the over-under. Army's coming off a win against Colgate, 10-8. Bucknell coming off a win versus Loyola. This is an interesting game and a trap game if you're betting Army minus two. AT, what do you got? This is a this is a scary this is this is a scary game for Army because obviously we know that Clipper's little brother, the goaltender for Bucknell, is very good. Uh, Wetzel or Whitesell or whatever the hell his name is, the faceoff guy for Bucknell is very good. Although I think that Army is going to control the middle of the field at the X. Uh, I just think that Army's defense, and you've mentioned it in the previous podcasts, is just too tough. And while I think that Will Sands is one of the best attackmen of the country, and I think we'll have a five-point game. I just think that Army will find a way to win, you know, 10-8 or, 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 or 10-7, something like that. So I'm going to take Army, and I'm going to take the under, even though that's a low number at 19-5. I'm going to take Army in this. It's it's a really tough one. Bucknell's playing really well. These guys are professionals. The LBLs are... They are. I'm sitting here thinking of this. I, I think Cole Johnson, I think that Army has the horses to stop a guy like Sands. I think yep. that it's going to be a slow-paced game. You know, Bucknell's going to do their 10-man ride, and Army's going to press out. It's it's not going to be 19.5 is good. I'm going to take Army in this, though. I think that they win by two or three goals, and I'm going to take the under yep. on 19.5. Um, Yale, number 20 Yale, goes to Philadelphia in Franklin Field at a 1 p.m. game. This is a big game for both teams. Both teams in a situation where they're trying to establish credibility. Yale with a recent win over Princeton, 16-3, and Penn with a recent W in Ithaca against Cornell, 10-9. Penn is favored by one. The over-under here is 20 what do you got? Ah, uh, this is an easy pick for me. Uh, I've watched Penn Cornell online last week, and Penn, even though they won the game, it was a sleazy sideline cram job, twenty-five yard pass into, I think, a midfielder that got his first start of his career and scored three goals against probably the worst game I've ever seen a Cornell team play since I've been alive and they only won by one goal uh, I'm an advocate of Penn's season to date based on their win over Virginia but and the fact that they played such a challenging schedule but this Penn team their confidence is shaken you can see they just they look tight on offense they look confused on the clear, and Yale is getting better and better and better and better. And even though Penn played Yale really, really well last year, I think it was two one-goal losses. I want to say the first game, Penn was up about 10-4, and I was listening to the game with, or I was watching the game on my iPad with Mike Regan and Hanford, and I said, you watch, Yale's going to come back and win this game. And sure enough, Yale came back and won the game. And then you go to the Ivy League tournament, and I actually thought that Penn may knock them off based on their improvement over the course of the season. Yale found a way to win that game, I think, 7-6. But Penn played them really, really closely. 
coming into the season, I would have picked Penn to win this game. Uh, I, I, I would have. But just not after the way each team has played the last two weeks. I see Penn going in the wrong direction, and I see Yale going in the right direction. I've got Yale me over. I'm taking Pango Quakers. Number 14, Virginia, goes to Richmond in a now state championship game, UVA. Favored by two. The over-under here is 21. UVA is coming off the tough loss in OT against Hopkins, 18-7. We covered that. Richmond coming off a win against High Point. I believe it's High Point. AT with a two-goal favorite. Can UVA do it? Uh, yeah, UVA can do it, but they're not going to. Uh, when, you asked, <laughs> when you asked me my final four earlier in the show, I, I had to think long and hard about putting Richmond in there, which is unbelievable considering – you know, how long they've actually been a Division One program. But you're looking at one of the top three def- defenses in the country in Richmond. They got the goalie. They've got the face-off group. They've got the offense. They know how to control the game. They had Duke dead in the water. And Duke yep. came back with a big second half and pulled that victory out. They flat-out beat Richmond. I'm sorry, they flat out beat North Carolina, but North Carolina had then dead in the water, so they came back. So, listen, they played two teams in Carolina and Duke to a one-goal win and a one-goal loss, and I just think that Dan Shamati has got to be considered the front-runner for Coach of the Year. Although, you got Seth Tierney at Hofstra and Brian Brecht, if they can win some Big Ten games right there in the mix as well, but, but Richmond is absolutely for real. They're playing at Richmond. Yale, Virginia beat them nine zip last year. This sets up for Richmond. Richmond's, I, I think Richmond's going to win outright, uh, but I, it's going to be a low-scoring game. So I got Richmond, and I got the under. I'm actually going to take the over in the 21 goals. I think Richmond's going to run. But the thing is, is I, I still feel like this, again, is going to be a similar game as to the Penn-UVA game. Richmond's defense, if you're able to watch a Richmond game, their defense is incredible. They They're are big, big, athletic. They made when they played UNC. They made UNC look like it was the vice versa. Like that should be UNC in their jerseys, and UNC looked like they should be wearing Richmond jerseys. I mean, it was really, really impressive. They get out. They they're not afraid of anyone. They're not going to be afraid of this UVA team. It's interesting to see that this is probably the first team that Richmond will play that's that transition heavy. Um, and that, you know, face off. I mean, look, if you can stop UVA off their face off transition, you can, you can stop UVA. A majority of their goals come from the face off transition. It's very impressive to see what UVA does off of that. Similar to what Brown did in their final four run. Um, but Richmond here, um, I think gets the win outright. Um, and in terms of the over under, I'm taking the over on this. I, I do think Richmond's going to hold them to a lower goal output. They're not going to score, um, you know, 35 goals in this game, but I do have them over 21. So uh, I've got Richmond straight up. So I'm taking not only Richmond plus two, I would take Richmond in the money line on this. Yep. And I'm taking the over. Interesting. Good level of confidence. Penn State, number two, Penn State, your favorite ranking. In the polls, going to Ohio State to prove that they are number two in the country. OSU is favored by one in this one, probably as they should be. 
Uh, the over-under here is 21.5. Penn State coming off a win against Cleveland State. Real confidence booster there, 15-8. Ohio State coming off their loss against Notre Dame. What do you got, AT? Uh, let me just clarify. I'm not – I'm not – I don't root against Penn State. You know, I, I, frankly, I'd like to see Penn State – I don't know if I want to see him win. I'm a, I like, I'm a Tom, I'm a Tom <laughs> Carey fan, but I do – I do like Jeff, and but I also like Nick. I, I like that. I think both these coaches are two of the best coaches out there. Um, I just am not a fan of Penn State getting ranked at a spot where I don't think that their body of work deserves that. You know, and I think and I was that same critical way of Ohio State before the week where they played Towson and Denver. To their credit, they beat both those teams. If Penn State knocks off Ohio State this week and ends up at ten and zero. They may they may move to number one for me, depending upon what happens in Syracuse, Notre Dame. They may, but they mm-hmm. probably won't. But they may. But then I can see them at number two or three, depending upon what happens what happens with Hofstra Fairfield. I think that this is the first game where Gerard Arcieri is going to struggle at the X against Ohio State's Jake Withers. I think that is going to slow Penn State's offense down significantly yeah i think that ben randall i think his name is which is the defenseman who covered connor carazero from ohio state is going to uh is going to shut down grant amen i think that i think that both of those things spell trouble for penn state i think tom carey is the best goalie on the field in this game I think Penn State's defense is going to get exposed in a big way with the Canadian-style offense that Ohio State plays, and this game is at home. I I just – I see Ohio State rolling here. So I've got Ohio State, and given the fact that it's 21-5, you know, obviously Penn State's going to score in some transition – uh, and I want to take the under, but I'm not going to do it. So I'm going to take Ohio State for sure and the over. This is this is Ohio State's game. Um, and for all the exact reasons, our series going to he's going to win most of the faceoffs. I do believe that. But it's not going to be the same results that he's seen over the last, what, nine and oh, nine games Two, there's no question that carries the better goalie. And three, the pace in which Ohio State plays on offense is just going to wear down Penn State. They're not going to get the opportunities that they're normally getting, and their offense won't get into the rhythm that they're used to getting as well. Uh, our Siri wins faceoffs in bunches, four, five, six, seven in a row, and that gets a, 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 an offensive rhythm like none other. And that's what this offense for Penn State needs. And I think that's their biggest concern going into this. I have Ohio State, and I have Ohio State by two or three goals as well. I'm going to take the under in this. 21.5 is a little too high for me just because I just don't think Penn State's going to win enough faceoffs to score as many goals. And I think that Ohio State's offense is just going to slow death. Like they are just slow, yeah. methodical. Remember this game last just... year? I think Ohio State won 6-5. Something crazy yeah, yeah. I mean, like it was that. incredible. It was a Sunday afternoon game like you like, a Sunday at 5 or something like that. Penn State. Love the Sunday It was a really, games. really well-played game. Um, it was fun. So you might be right with the under. Damn it. 
<laughs> number 12. We got two left. Two games left, and then we have the Rock Bottom Bowl, of course. Number 12, Duke, goes to Sha- Chapel Hill, Chapel Hill, uh, to play number 18, UNC. Duke coming off the loss, of course, in OT, 12-11 to Q's, and UNC coming off their loss. They're pummeling to Maryland, 15-7. to Duke is favored by only one. 20 and a half is the over-under, which I feel like is a little low, but I can understand it. What do you got here, AT? It pains me to say it because I'm a huge Tar Heel fan, Joe Brash and Metsy. Um, you know, I, I, you got to respect Coach Tanowski. He's one of the, the best people in the sport. Uh, I just see two teams going in two different ways. I was really down on Duke in the beginning of the year and was outspoken in that I thought they would finish last in the ACC. And to their credit, they've played well. You know, they've beaten Loyola. They haven't played a you know an unbelievably tough schedule, and they almost knocked off Hughes in the Dome last week. Um, Bones Kelly's not playing that well for Carolina. I think he's hurt is what I've heard from my buddies at Carolina. But Kyle Rowe, uh, you know, him, Batiste, Arcieri, Whittle, those are probably the four best face-off guys in the country right now. And Kyle Rowe may be number two. Uh, he lost the head-to-head battle with Batiste, but he destroyed the Syracuse guys last week, uh, or destroyed Ben Williams, but I know Ben Williams is hurt. I think Kyle Rowe right. is going to control this game at the X, and that's going to spell a lot of trouble for North Carolina because I think that Duke's defense will be exposed, but I think Duke's offense is going gonna, is gonna to take advantage of North Carolina's seemingly disorganized defensive end. Maryland's just picked them apart inside. They just picked them apart. And I don't think, you know, Duke has many guys that can run by it and score the way Matt Rambo can. Um, but I just see them as a really good, you know, cut, feed, finish team. And based on the type of goals that Maryland scored with consistency last week in Chapel Hill, I think Duke is going to expose them that same way. And the fact that they're going to have the ball 80% of the time off the faceoffs, it just spells trouble for a North Carolina team that I think offensively is in real disarray as well. I'm, I'm, I'm concerned that North Carolina doesn't have an attackman that can run by a defenseman and score a goal if they don't slide. So that puts a heavy emphasis on North Carolina to dodge with their midfielders and create slides, you know, there. Do they do that? I don't know. They're two, two of their best midfielders, you know, are freshmen and Justin Anderson and Will Perry. Their best midfielder, Taglia Ferry, hasn't played very well this year. And I had him as sort of a preseason first-team All-American last year, and he put up, whatever, 21 goals last year. He hasn't showed up yet. You know, Sergio Perkovic, who I've criticized all year long, has showed up the last two weeks, and we'll talk about him next. Um, you know, but but Tagliaferri, Romar Dennis, these guys that you know should be and need to be at least two goal a game guys haven't been. And nope, I just worry about close. Carolina's offensive punch. I worry about them playing too much defense and losing in a big way at the faceoff X. I don't like Duke's goalie. But I don't really like Carolina's goaltenders either. I wish I was I wish I was saying the wrong things about Carolina, but 
I just I have to see a, a better performance out of them before I would be able to take them in one of these games. So I have to take Duke and I have to take the over. I'm definitely taking Duke and I'm definitely taking the over on this as well. Um, I just for all the same reasons. Which is Duke uh, Duke's defense has gotten better for sure, and I think that's fixable. You know what I mean? Duke, when you're disorganized at the beginning of the year, it's understandable. You can get better on the defensive side by organization. Um, I feel like, I, 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 other than Richmond and in, in Notre Dame, I'm not so sure that there are better athletes in the country on defense than UNC, and they're just not getting it done on that side of the field. Just really got exposed against Maryland. Now, Maryland, on the other half, you could argue, is playing at a different level again. Like, they're, they're, they're starting to really step into what we all believe Maryland could do on the offensive end. But seven goals still, UNC can't beat their one-on-one matchups. And I've never heard an ACC team ever be told that they can't beat their one-on-one matchups. Um, and, and you wonder if some major shuffling around should happen. You wonder if like moving Cloutier to a, a midfield and running him through the box would kind of spark an interest in their offense or it just spark their offense. Now, who do you, sh- you know, who do you put down at attack? You could put Tagliaferri. I mean, that's what Pontrello kind of did. Pontrello was running midfield his entire career, more or less, then he ended up at attack towards the end. Am I right, AT? Right. Right. And, uh, you know... Somebody needs to be able to dodge by a pole from X, and no one can really do that. Andy Matthews is not – he's not the guy, and Cloutier is not the guy, and Goldstock is not the guy. Um, you know, being able to separate their hands from, you know, between s- 7 and 11 yards is just not happening with UNC. Very frustrating to see. I've got Duke covering this one-goal win, and I've got the over as well. Game of the week, AT, number four, Syracuse, heading to – South Bend, Indiana, to play number one Notre Dame. Their light at the top of one of their buildings is flashing number one. So painful. (laughs) Notre Dame favored by two. Two goals. 19 and a half is the over-under. What do you got, AT? Wow, this is a really really good line. This this line just sucks you right in. (laughs) Um, Listen, I I think that... um, I think that clearly when you look at this game, I think Ben Williams being hurt is going to allow Notre Dame to win 50% at the X. So I think that that aspect is a wash, which which if it's a wash, that favors Notre Dame. Um, I think that Syracuse's offensive punch comes from their midfield. And I think that Sergio Salcedo is a first-team All-American, but I think his matchup with John Sexton in this game is going to be a disappointing day for Sergio Salcedo. (laughs) It will be. Because Sexton (laughs) can cover him, but more importantly, he's going to have the support of Bernsey's team defense to bail him out if something happens and Salcedo gets by him. Their last line of defense in Shane Dawson. That's not going to happen, though. That's not going to happen, is, and, you, and you know it. It's Yeah, I don't think it's going to happen. And then you've got the last line of defense in Shane Doss, who uh, may be a first-team All-American goaltender. You know, you 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 voted him that when we talked about this on the last podcast. Yeah. So I think Notre Dame's defense is going to win the battle between 
Notre Dame's defense and Syracuse's offense. But then you go on the other end, and as I stated, Sergio Perkovic, you know, I, I'm not a huge fan of his game and, and have been very, very critical of his poor shooting. But yep. the last two games, he's stepped up and he's played really, really well. And he's scored three no goals doubt. a game. And if you're scoring three goals a game as a midfielder, you're a first-team All-American. Um, yep. I think the best offensive player in the field pretty much every game is Ryder Garnsey. And I think that he is going to fillet Syracuse's defensive personnel. Um, the question for me is not whether or not Notre Dame's going to cover. They are going to cover. Um, you know, it's whether or not as a combined group they're going to score 19-5. I think Notre Dame scores enough goals. But I also think that Notre Dame's smart enough offensively to play their style, which is a relatively slow style of game, which helps their defense and makes them better, allows them to play every possession with full energy. Uh, yep. So I'm going to take Notre Dame and I'm going to take the under because I think they're going to hold Syracuse down the way Hopkins held them down. I think this is going to be like 10-7 Notre Dame. I got Notre Dame and I got the under. I'm not so sure there's a first-team All-American more definitive than John Sexton. Yeah. And that's only because with the face-off guys right now, there's a lot of really good – I mean, obviously, Baptiste is leading th those guys. I, I just feel like John Sexton is, is the real deal, and I do not think that there's a midfielder – at Syracuse that can run by him. And not only that, he's going to cause a turnover. He's going to pick up that ground ball. He's going to run the field, and then he's going to create offense for your boy Ryder Gonzi on the other end. Yep. Uh, he's that dynamic of a player. He can also make up for what I would probably give the edge to Cuse at the faceoff X in this, but he helps in that coming off the wing. He's in between the lines, uh, really dynamic player, fun to watch. I've got Notre Dame covering this two-goal spread, especially in South Bend. I mean, like Ithaca, you know, screw you. Uh, like screw you like out there. like Denver. It's so feels, brutal. Feels um, like blatant cheating. It feels like blatant cheating. <laughs> it does. Um, and so I, I, I'm going to take the over on this one, though. I, I I do think it's going to be there's going to be a big run in this game that puts the over into play. That's what I believe. Um, just enough, maybe like a a. Three goal each, so like a six goal run that happens in this game really quickly um, that puts this to the over. But Notre Dame still comes out on top by two goals or more. AT, talk to us about the Rock Bottom Bowl. Who are the candidates? Well, Ryan, um, normally I would have a long list of candidates for you, except this Rock Bottom Bowl just jumped <laughs> right out at me. Oh, no. Yes. Oh, no. Yes. And... It's actually a harder game to pick than you would think based on the past decade score of 210 goals to 22 goals. Wow, you did goals. some serious research okay. on this, didn't you? Uh, but this is... two hundred. Wait a minute, 210 to 22? About, it seemed like, it seemed like... Maybe, is that real? Maybe, maybe that's when just you and I were on the sidelines with Billy Wilson. Um <laughs> But this is, we're doing it. We have a return team to the Rock Bottom Bowl, and I hate to say oh, that no. because I love their alumni base, but I may be falling out of popularity with them fast considering <laughs> that I put them back in here. Um, and I'm already out of the popularity base with the other teams, so that doesn't matter. 
So it is, Ryan. You've got it correct. It is Dartmouth and mayonnaise packets all the way up to Cornell in the biggest rock bottom trip of the year for the rock bottom bowl. Dartmouth at Cornell. What do you got? There's got to be a line on this game. There's zero way. This is a straight pick. Over under is three. <laughs> for for Dartmouth? No, for it, it combined. Ah, uh, there's just. First off, I think that Cornell. I mean, the kid 27. I forget his name. Mitchell, Mitch, Mitch something. He's great, man. He is huge. Both hands gets in the uh, the kid Jeff Teat. We all know is phenomenal. Yeah. There's just no one on that Dartmouth team that can cover those two guys. Like no one. Casey Hinchin could. But he's not there. Casey Hinchin could, but you can't multiply because they got two. Casey Hinchin, um, Rob Pinnell did a great job. He did. He did. I actually had a conversation with Rob Pinnell and about that game. What did he say? Um, and he was. He remembered Fergus standing on his head. Fergus and uh, he called him Campbell Ferguson. That was my <laughs> favorite line of the conversation. That was. A, I was like, "You're so close." <laughs> That was my favorite line of the conversation that I had with them. Uh, But phenomenal talking about it. And I was like, look, man, we just felt like if we could keep you to six goals and zero assists, we had a chance. But if we, if you went one and four or five, we lost by 50. Um, And we did. I think he was like four and one on the day day or something. Three and oh. Three and oh, yeah, yeah, so. something like that. It was, it was three and oh, and he didn't get his team involved. And Casey Hinchin Casey was incredible. Torp had an unbelievably good game plan. Yeah, yeah, he we did. Were going we went in and out as soon as they do their man dots, zone, man zone, zone, man zone. Yeah, he, he did a it was job. impressive. Based off three poles, Andrew Pollock was awesome. Casey Hinchin was awesome. Yes. And let's face it, Cornell had no midfield punch with Roy Lang. He got shut down. Ari Sussman was awesome. Rhett Miller was awesome. And of yes, course they were all of course Campbell Ferguson was off the charts with <laughs> Ferguson. That was the best. And uh it's easily transposed. I could see that. Um Fergus Campbell, he was definitely player of the game. I think he had twenty saves or something like that. Twenty one saves. Yeah. In either case, this is just not fair. I mean look, I'm giving you the win on this one, but I'm taking the big green. Done. <laughs> and I know you're. I know you're. I know you're going to take Cornell, but I just don't think it's fair to put a straight up lot without a line on this. But I'm staying with the Big Green faithful. Let's go Callahan. Let's go Landon Kenzie and uh, the boys. Richie Loftus. Richie Loftus. Uh, he's, just, he's just got up. I'll tell you who else. He is Wiley Osborne. Jack Corzilius is as good as he's. He's a he's star. great man. I mean, I feel bad for he him is. because he's. You know, it's like him and him and. Richie Loftus are their offensive punch. Wiley Osborne is Wiley. Well. Wiley. Um, yep. You know, but you take you take Jack Corzelius and you put him, you know, on Yale or Brown. You put him on Brown, and he's a first team All Ivy player and an All American. Guarantee you, uh, he's one of the, he's yeah. one of the best midfielders, definitely in the Ivy League, and and I think in the country he just doesn't have a you know, a supporting cast to allow him to have the same statistical success as guys playing with, you know, a deeper roster of support. Um, But you're absolutely right, Ryan. I'm going on Cornell for sure. Um, (laughs) Listen, it's, I think you just did this just for an easy win for yourself. Well, I took me on my last week. Remember? 
I took yeah, EMI last week and I gave you Bellarmine. And it, and, that's true. And that was critical to you losing to me 15-16 last week. That's right. right. So that's right. That's right. Uh, I've got Cornell. They're, listen, there's too much history in that program. They're not going to lose to Dartmouth. No way. At home, mm-hmm. no way. I mean, they just lost. Go to, Big Green! lost to Penn by a goal. And for all intents and purposes, they had Penn dead in the water. And Penn is a way better team than Dartmouth is. Um, but for, you know, uh, there are no buts. Cornell's going to win this game. I got Cornell. <laughs> <laughs> That's it for the show today. As always, you can check us out at In Your Face Lax, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. Check us out. We do this on Mixler, um, and uh, we'll post this show. It'll be a little edited for the chop job that I did in the beginning of the show, but it'll be edited, and it'll be posted on Lax All-Stars. As always, thank you to our friends at Lax Vegas Lines. And AT, thank and you Sisu. again. And Sisu. Oh, yes. Uh, We didn't do as many commercial breaks this week because we got that jam up in the beginning. Uh, But as always, uh, Sisu, witness evolution. Uh, They're changing the game in the mouthpiece industry. Uh, Buy one. They're cheap uh, and they're available and you can remold them. Really, really cool stuff. Um, As always, uh, thank you, AT, and uh, check out the games this weekend. We'll be back next Wednesday, 9 a.m. And enjoy the weekend of lacrosse. Go Big Green. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha.